0: It's Robin Marshall. Oddly enough, people call me Sugar Mom. (laughs) And you know, I earned that name. I mean, I really believe I earned it because you have to be aware of who you are, know what you need, and realize what you deserve in order to be a Sugar Mom. Enough said. I want to talk to you about my mom. For so many years, I had so many grudges that I held against her. For so many things that she did that she shouldn't have done. That I I forgot about the things that she did that were wonderful. Huh. And I'm not the type that holds a grudge. So this came to mind today because I found an audio piece of her and myself. Talking, and it was just hilarious because we have the exact same laugh. Our voices, you can hardly tell us apart, and we have the same wicked yet goofy sense of humor. (laughs) I mean, we would talk on the phone for hours at a time and just laugh our asses off. How did I forget all of that and only remember the bad? I mean, The bottom line with my mom and I and my home life as a teenager was that she wasn't happy and she didn't have anybody to talk to and chose me. I was too young to hold all of that information, to harbor all of those grudges for her on behalf of her. It was just too much information at too young an age and I never got over it. And then I was upset with her after I started having my kids because she'd never come see us. It was always, you come to me. That was what she'd say to me. And I was the one that had five kids. They hardly ever saw their grandmother. And yet, they love her. (laughs) They remember her quirky ways, little things that she'd say, the fact that she would call every one of them and sing happy birthday onto their voicemails. (laughs) Those are the things that matter to my kids. And God bless them because they're little, and little things mean a lot. And guess who taught them that little things matter? Me. Because I learned it from her. I can remember up until maybe 10, 11 years old, she was the greatest mom anybody could have ever wanted. I mean, she's the one that taught me to be creative, to be honest, to stop somebody from bullying somebody else, to stand up for myself, to be righteous. She taught me how to use makeup. She'd let me use her makeup when I was five years old. She knew I'd go into the bathroom and play with her things, and she never got mad at me. <laughs> oh, I remember the gold eyeshadow the best. That was my favorite. It glittered. <laughs> She taught me how to color and how to outline. And I taught all my kids the same things. When you outline a picture, it pops. You see? And none of this light coloring so it looks faded. I taught my kids the same way she taught me. If you pick up a crayon, you be prepared to push down on that paper and make it cover what you're trying to color. As a result, I became an excellent colorer. Thank you, Mom. And she took it a step further. She taught me how to accent the pictures after they were done. For instance, if it was a picture of a rose in a coloring book, we would first color darkly, pushing down on the crayon to do the flower and the stem and the petals and the leaves. And then we'd outline the whole picture in black. And then she would take the crayon, she would surround the picture with strokes of color outside of the picture so that it was on the paper itself, which would further enhance the outlining of the vibrant picture that we colored. Now, who would think of doing something like that? I wish I could show it to you. She took my sister and I to the library once a week. And we could get as many books as we wanted. She made me love the library. I did the same for my kids. Just the smell of the library. I still remember. They seem to be much more sterile now. But I would do the same. Took five kids to the library. Each one of them would take 20 books out. We'd take them all home. We'd read them together. And she used to read me stories. It's amazing how much I've mirrored her. To the point where I look in the mirror and I see her many, many times. It stops me dead in my tracks. And I'm sure it happens to you too with your mom. It's crazy. We spend so much time saying we don't want to be like our moms while we're being like our moms. (laughs) We grow into our moms. So when the time comes and you lose your mom, I wanted to give you a heads up. Because when you get that call, and you hear somebody say, your mom just passed away, if you find yourself in that situation, and you're the only next of kin, the spotlight is now on you. You don't have time for grieving. I'm going to tell you the things that you have to do. You might even want to grab a pen and paper. The first thing you have to think about is, where have you left your suitcase? How long will you be gone? and do the math in your head as to how many pair of panties, if you wear them, what dress you're going to wear to the funeral, what shoes match the dress, and then maybe two or three other casual pieces of clothing that you just don't care about. You've got to get all that in the suitcase quickly. You'll need closure. You make calls to the institution your parent had been staying in And you call them over and over again because you're in shock. And there's always one more thing that you forgot to ask. How did it happen? Was she sleeping? Was it something I asked you to do that may have been the catalyst for her death? Did she feel anything? How long can I leave her there, legally speaking? Those are the questions. Then you'll try to find the will to find her will. What did she want? A burial? Did she want to be cremated? You'll realize there is no will. There's only a way. And it's your way. You need to choose. And you do. It's tough, but you do. Then you call a list of funeral homes and you do comparison shopping. Oh my God, it's true. One place charges 5000 for cremation and a two-hour visitation block, while another charges half of that and gives you the joint for the whole day. The thought process is borderline insanity. If they give it all for half price, it can't be the best place, right? So you keep calling other establishments until you realize it's a racket more often than not. Then you find the right place because the stranger on the other end of the phone makes you feel like they get you. They offer empathy, not sympathy. There's a remarkable difference between the two, especially while you're going through that madness You pay to have your parent made into ashes or filled with formaldehyde. Next, you pick your time slot for people to come see each other in the funeral parlor, who more than likely haven't seen you in 30-plus years. The conversations prematurely start playing in your head. My goodness, you got old. Then you kick yourself during the day because you know you've said the wrong thing most of the time in that three-hour window. Inside your head, of course. You make phone calls from your parents' handwritten phone book to the same people you've already had those imaginary conversations with who in their right mind would choose a funeral home with a name they can't pronounce. Me. I had to keep looking at the website to phonetically read it on every phone call that I made. It would be nice if you and your family could make it to this shebang, so you need to book flights to get there. In my case, I needed to book six people in three different states. I have trouble booking my own flights. It's sort of an ADD issue, let alone close to a basketball team. To coordinate everyone's flight to try and arrive and depart at the same time makes you forget about your lost parent in a hurry. In fact, you wind up talking to yourself the more frustrated you become. You died on purpose, didn't you, Mom? Just to put me through all this aggravation... Admit it, mother. Damn it. You realize you forgot to book a van to get everybody from the airport to the hotel. Gone is the phrase, room. You need to book a wing of a hotel to house all these people. You've got to find their significant other. This should have been the first thing I told you. But it was the first thing that I tried to do. I just couldn't find him all day. I kept calling and calling, This man has lived with her for what feels like a zillion years. Longer than she was married to my dad. And when he finally did call, saying he was on his way to see her, I had to tell him to turn around, that she wasn't there anymore. That went over well. You'll almost be ready for bed after this day of hell, when you'll remember, Shit! I forgot to write her obituary. This is not your blog-type writing. This is structure. You gotta pull from your days of learning cursive and coming home to show your mom, hoping she'll be proud of your work. And then it all starts to sink in. Damn. The Facebook dings that you'd been hearing all day. You decide that it might be a good way to unwind, and so you go and face the music. I'm so sorry for your loss. Please accept my condolences. And you realize, if your friends are talking about this, then it must be true. You've really lost your mom. And it's not just in a parking lot filled with cars. You've lost her. For good. Oh. You feel that weight on your chest and in your heart. If you're a type A kind of person, you now understand that, no, we can't fix everything. No, even with our capes and pixie dust, we can't bring her back. You'll feel like you're six again. You'll wonder, when will we ever grow up? The old radio joke is no longer funny as we say it because it's not about not being able to grow up if you're in the radio industry because you can't do both. It's about the fact we've spent our whole lives seeking praise from our parents, and now we know no one will ever tell us again how proud they are of us. We're on our own. Finally, you go upstairs at the end of the night, and you see you still haven't unpacked, and you decide to put it off until the next day. But then you hear your mom's voice. Like I did. Robin, do you think those clothes are going to unpack themselves? Didn't I teach you to always look back at the room you were just in and make sure it looks exactly the same when you leave it? And then you hear the words inside your head escape your lips. But, Mom, this podcast is in memory of my mom, Elaine. And that's with a Y. (laughs) And I only found out that she was born, E-L-A-I-N-E, at her funeral, going through her things, that she changed her name to include the Y. And I found a letter that she had written where she explained it made her feel special to spell her name with a Y. The things we find out after the fact, that we thought we already knew, are amazing. I want to talk to you about ovarian cancer. No matter what time of year it is, no matter what kind of cancer is prevalent in the minds and eyes of the public, ovarian cancer is a very sneaky cancer. And I want to help you to protect yourself so that you don't wind up with this horrific disease as well. Just stay with me and just listen for another five, 10 minutes. Thank you. <coughs> It's Robin Marshall. I want to talk to you about a very serious subject, ovarian cancer. And the National Ovarian Cancer Coalition asked me to write of my experiences while living with this disease today. They needed it for a tomorrow review. So, in essence, they've given me a deadline. (laughs) Luckily, I've lived through most of the trauma that goes with ovarian cancer, so deadlines are my friends. I say this with a kick in my step and a bit of dry wit on the side. I do my best work when I'm under the gun. Some even call me a smoking gun. I can remember the day I was diagnosed. We all say the same thing. What? I've been eating healthy, exercising, taking care of myself and my family for what feels like an eternity. This can't be happening to me. This only happens to other people. Truth is, we are other people, and it can happen to you. Even if you've lived in a bubble for your whole life, you still have to answer to genetics. Yes, you still get to blame your mom for something. I also remember thinking that ovarian cancer was a death sentence to women. At that moment, all five kids flashed across my mind. How do I continue to protect them from themselves or from me? My genes are in their bodies. It's amazing the brain power you realize you have when faced with a catastrophe like this. It's funny, though. It always seems to come back to our kids and what we can do to fix it. Maybe I was looking for something to fixate on so I wouldn't have to deal with the immediate truth who uses their own children in such circumstances or admits to it. That day was July 2014. I'd just written a racy book called The Diary of a Sugar Mom, Don't Tell the Kids. I was on tour with that book and didn't know what to do with the knowledge presented to me. My message via my book was to empower women without alienating their families. The book was meant to help women understand that no matter how many kids or what kind of husband, we will do whatever is needed to keep them safe, but we need to be truthful with ourselves. We need to admit we still deserve me time. So I did what any normal crazy woman would do. And after breaking the news to my family, I went public with it. I thought, what could it hurt? Really? Could it kill me any faster than this death threat called ovarian cancer? I know myself well enough to realize that I heal faster when I talk about things. And believe me, I started talking, blogging, podcasting, Facebooking, tweeting. I did anything that could get the word out to other women for one reason only Girlfriend? You need to stop avoiding your yearly physicals. Go! Ovarian cancer doesn't show its pretty head unless something else gets in its way, like the threat of cervical cancer or bleeding for no reason, maybe even exaggerated urinary tract infections. I just felt as if I was on a mission. I wanted my kids to see that it really mattered to me that our generation tried to do everything we could to save their generation from feeling this type of helplessness. If I talk, someone out there has got to be listening, and one of them just might have that fix. I know. I really do know. When faced with an emergency, we tend to fixate on the obscure, as in, cancer? Is that a verb, noun, or adjective that I can change, heal, or diminish Just by being the bitch that I know I can be, having the ability to open my mouth to all who will listen, while adding my humor to keep them captivated just long enough to make them realize this is for real? I want you to know that ovarian cancer is now manageable. It's called a chronic cancer because most often it just won't go away a good oncologist will be honest with you from the get-go and tell you that only 15% will live the first three years cancer-free. I'm not one of the lucky ones. I made it to two years without a hitch. I felt so empowered and continued to blog and podcast about this disease with the hopes of catching more women in my web of knowledge, trying to show them the way that I didn't even see the possibility of it catching up to me again. Wrong. It's the cancer that won't allow you to be brazen. It's that cancer that doesn't add extra inches to your heels. This type of cancer has got to be treated with respect and like roadkill at the same time. It's sneaky and must be taken seriously. And there's no one that took it more seriously than me. Still, even with the respect I paid, it came back, and it's haunting me to this day. This is where we are today with ovarian cancer. We have chemotherapy, which robs us of what we feel is all of our dignity as women. At first, we may feel like this was our fault. We must have done something in the past that called for this monster in the present. The silver lining is... We become stronger and learn there's more to us than our precious hair, body, and flirtatiousness. Our brains and souls become huge and shareworthy. We want to tell other women to be careful, get checked, talk to our daughters, look at our genetics, etc., because we're great women in spite of the cancer. We now know who we are and what we are capable of doing. We become a force to contend with. Speaking for myself, I must have a dozen capes of a different color in my closet. There are so many different types of women that I knew I'd need an assortment of these capes to get us through. Some say cancer conqueror. (laughs) Others read, bite me. It's all the same message, but some women are just more sensitive than others. We also have promise in the air. Immunotherapy drugs, inhibitor drugs, cures that the FDA is this close to giving the green light to. I'm speaking from hands-on experience. Two years clean, and then my blood test came back higher, higher, and higher. It's called a CA-125, and it's a great way to measure ovarian cancer, but it's not a true indicator. That's the part that really messes with your brain. It measures inflammation in your body. And it can come from being sick, the flu, really, anything. Oncologists will say one of two things if your numbers come back higher at a steady incline. Let's wait and see. Or, this is very characteristic of this disease. I've seen it many times. The cancer is back. All of a sudden, it becomes your choice. You need to decide what your best course of action will be. Do I go on the inhibitor drugs this time around, or do I wait it out and see if maybe, just maybe, something else is inflamed inside of my body that I just can't see yet? Ovarian cancer is a guessing game. We need to stay ahead of it by being proactive. First, you find it then you fix it. Finally, you watch it, and you do your best to stay ahead of it. I always felt from the very beginning, when I first started yapping, if I could save one woman's life just by opening my mouth, it was worth it. I still feel the same way. I hope you'll take me very seriously, even in my entertaining way of discussion, and never miss a yearly physical again. I'm always available too. You can find me on Facebook at Sugar Mom, Twitter, Real Sugar Mom. My podcast is Sugar Mom Podcasts on iTunes and many others. And finally, my website is sugarmom.net or go to robinmarshall.com. I'm very much there for you. I am the one true friend you've got. I'll always tell it like it is and will help you through. The best news of all, (laughs) my five kids, they're just like me. They will find your children one day and reach out to them as I am to you. Much love and respect. Robin Marshall (coughs) A Westwood One podcast production.